0: Good morning. I'll be reading from Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and you can find this passage on your pew Bible on page 828. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this is the second in a series entitled "The Spirit and the Church." Uh, our theme this year is "Breathe, Holy Spirit, Moving Through Me," and I wanted toward the end of our uh, time with that emphasis to focus on some practical matters related to the Holy Spirit. And, and really, when you study uh, the book or the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, there's a lot in there about what we're talking about, just a lot of practical issues related to the Holy Spirit. And I loved the feedback I got last week on why go to church. (laughs) And uh, it was a lot of great feedback that wasn't at all guilt-laced, like, oh, I'm not attending enough. And that really wasn't the intention. But to magnify the incongruity of saying you're a Christian but you don't attend church and how that's quite incongruous to what this book teaches in many, many places, and how presupposed it is that if you're going to be a believer, you're going to be a part of Christ's church as well. So I really appreciate Gosh, we even had people join, and the pits have assured me it wasn't guilt-laced, that you just want to join anyway. So, But this morning, we deal with another matter, a matter no doubt I've heard you, uh, uh, no doubt I, I know you've heard sermons on this before. But I think it is important, and, and, and the letter to the Ephesians deals with, it. it's the Spirit in the church, what keeps us united? What keeps us united? And if you want to find a theme of unity really in anywhere in Scripture, probably the best place to go is Ephesians chapter 4. It's just a beautiful depiction of how the church ought to be in terms of being unified. In fact, if you look at verse 3, and it's up on the screen there, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Um, I learned it as make every effort to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. But this is a great, I like the NLT translations translation here. Keep yourselves united in the Spirit. What Paul is talking about there in context is I want you to be as united as the triune Godhead is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I want you to be that bound together in love just as the triune God is. Is bound together in love, but then binding yourselves together with peace. The word there for binding literally means chaining yourselves together in peace, Uh, uh, being manacled together. That's how we are as Christ's body. We're supposed to be that unified, that bonded together. And when we talk about unity, amongst ourselves in the church with everything that we do together, every time we serve together, every time we worship together, every time we do mission work together, we need to keep in mind that everything we do together leaves a trace. Now, I watched a TED Talk recently that I really liked by a guy named John Sutherland, who's an officer in the London Police And uh, this is about forensic science, by the way, and Greg, oh, Greg Davis is in the first service. You know, Greg is like the leading pathologist CSI dude in the region. Uh, That's his title, CSI dude. Uh, But, uh, so I'm glad that uh, I could bring up an illustration that he could lock into. But John Sutherland, I was watching this TED Talk, and he talked about this principle in forensic science called Lacard's Exchange. And it's named after Dr. Edmund Lacard, who is known as the Sherlock Holmes of France, And it's a very simple premise when it comes to trying to catch criminals. It is every contact leaves a trace. Every criminal leaves a trace behind him or her. And Sutherland puts it this way, "...wherever he, the criminal steps, whatever he touches, whatever he leaves, even unconsciously will serve as a silent witness against him." Not only his fingerprints or his footprints, but his hair, the fibers from his clothes, the glass he breaks, the paint he scratches, the blood he deposits or collects. This, evidence, this is evidence that does not forget. But Sutherland takes it a step further in his TED Talk and says, you know what I've learned is that this is applying not only to forensic science, but human relationships as well. And this is how he puts it, and I think we can get it on the screen there. Every time two people come into contact with one another, an exchange takes place. Whether between lifelong friends or passing strangers, we encourage, we ignore, we hold out a hand, or we withdraw it. We walk towards or we walk away. We bless or we curse. And every single contact leaves a trace. The way that we treat and regard one another matters. It really matters matters. Now think about that. Every contact we have leaves a trace. So how we understand each other in the church, how we treat each other, how we minister together, how we worship together, all of that leaves a trace. So we do need to know how best to leave a trace with one another and with This body here at Brookwood and really the body of the church as a whole. And learn, therefore, what binds us together, what keeps us united. Well, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 basically says that there are seven realities that bind us together. And to observe them and practice them and value them in the church will do nothing but enhance unity. Not to observe them, not to carry them out, not to value them will fragment the church. Now, this is where we begin, and you can look on your outline in in your uh, handout, or it's up here on the screen as well. What are these seven realities that bind us and keep us united? And you find it in uh, verses 4 through 6. First of all, I'll call it divine arithmetic, divine arithmetic. Now, what do I mean by divine arithmetic? Let's go to Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. He says this, for there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. Now, Paul says these are the the, uh, uh, realities that bind the church, and the absence of them will fragment the church. Now, I want you to count the realities. Go on ahead, Stephen. To Yeah, here we go. I want you to look at the blue and then look at the orange, because I think this is cool, and this is where divine arithmetic comes into play. Let me just go ahead and ask you, what is known as the perfect number in, in the Bible, and in, in Hebrew numerology? What is it? From, from Genesis through Revelation, what is it? It's the number, anybody want to take a grab, stab at it? Seven, very good. Do we know why? Well, here we go. Uh, The number three that you find in ancient Hebrew numerology all the way through uh, to the New Testament, to the book of Revelation, the number three always represents the triune Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They had that understanding number of God in Old Testament times even before they had this concept of what we dubbed the Trinity. That's not in the Bible. That was dubbed by a guy named Tertullian some years uh, after uh, Christ died and rose. But uh, that's the number for God. The number for the world is, take a guess, three, we were talking about seven. What do you think the number for the world is? Okay, the perfect number is seven. Three, okay, it's four. (laughs) That's why I don't teach math, I teach theology. Yes? Yes? The number four is the number of the world. Why? Wherever it talks about uh, the world, oftentimes in, in Old Testament, especially it'll talk about to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. If you take those to their extreme ends, that's the world. It's the number four. So you have the number three in harmony with the number four, God and the world, that becomes the perfect Number. That is why they understood it that way, because three is the number of God, four is the number of us and the world and creation. When those come together in harmony, seven, that's really a unity right there and a bond of peace, if you will. Well, look, because I'm quite certain Paul has this in mind with this verse, because notice, he has the triune Godhead in there. Look at the orange, one spirit, one Lord, that's God the Son, Jesus, one God and Father, that's talking about God the Father, And then you have four, how shall we say, tangible elements in the world, earthly elements uh, that manifest themselves among us, what? One body, one hope, one faith, one baptism, and he puts those together in harmony. It's a beautiful depiction of us being in harmony with God and with each other in unity. Now, when we talk about this unity, I'd like to start talking about just the first element that's that's noted there, the first reality, which is one body, one body. Now, if you look uh, uh, in English translations, it'll say there is one body, there is one body, or you are to be one body, be one body. If you look at it in the original Greek, it just says one body. Now, what am I saying there? It's not an exhortation or a command. It's just saying this is reality. You are Christ's body. There is one body known as the church. And Paul really is speaking literally here about the body of Christ. He's saying we are his body on earth. In other words, our eyes are his eyes. You know, our hands are his hands. My heart is his heart and yours is as well. So together we are Christ's body. So we take care of each other as if we are taking care of Christ's own body. Think about that. What if you lived back in the day and Simon Peter came up to you and said, hey, you, I'm appointing you to take care of our Lord uh, for this week, okay, go. How would you be? <laughs> I'd be pretty anxious. I'd be incredibly vigilant. I would be rather instant in responding to whatever need he seemed to have. I'd be immediate in my service to him. Well, that's how we take care of each other's bodies as a body, if you will be. And, and, and let me say, we be willing to... To, to take care of each other and be willing to be taken care of. I remember some time ago, uh, we had a church member at, at a gathering and took, took a terrible spill, took a terrible fall, but really wasn't terribly badly hurt. But I remember us was helping this person up, and, and, and this person said, my, my, my body's okay, but my pride sure is hurt. And immediately someone said, and I love this, man, save pride for strangers. You're with family. And I love that. Save pride for strangers. You're with family here. You fell, okay. Let us help you now. You know, Lower that pride if you can. You're with family. You're part of Christ's body. So let's take care of one another and be willing to be taken care of. A lot of times the latter is the tougher one for us, for people like us. But to do so is really to live out that divine arithmetic of of God's loving us And our loving one another because of his love for us, therefore, that is what binds us together in the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And speaking of unity of the Spirit, let me go to a second reality that holds us together, and that is spiritual breath. We could call it spiritual breath. Uh, Again, our theme this year is breathe, Holy Spirit moving through me. One Spirit. Let's look at verse 4 again, verses 4 through 6. And I want you to notice this, in fact, go to the, uh, the uh, yellow lettering first where it says one God and Father. That's one way that, that you could write back in the ancient Greek you know, days when they were writing in Greek, it was one God and Father, it's saying this is one and the same. In other words, one God and Father, it's talking about God the Father. The only other one that you see in that verse that's that way is one body and one spirit. They just go together like that, just like God and Father do and one is placed after the other. You have the body, and then you have the spirit. You have the body, then the breath that animates that body gives it life. Without the breath of the spirit, we as a body of Christ are really just a corpse. That breath is powerful, as you know, second verse in all the Bible talks about what the Spirit of the Lord hovering over the waters, brooding over the waters, helping be a part of that creative activity, really being the creative activity that, that awakened the earth, created the universe. Well, that same, that same Spirit who created all the universe is residing within you and me. Therefore, that Spirit can animate us and awaken us and convict us of our sin and convert us toward deeper faith in Him. And that's how the Spirit also does what? Unites us. Unites us. The Spirit is a communal Spirit. In the book of Acts, uh, you'll see 12 times a certain Greek word. It's and, and And it's a great word. It means in one accord or with one heart, with a singleness of heart. It's a powerful word. And I think it's cool that it appears so often in the book of Acts because that's where the church got started. Uh, you go to Acts chapter 1 after Jesus ascends, from the earth and everyone gets together and prays in one accord because they know wow he's gone we need to really pray hard for what's going to happen next which is cool because in chapter two pentecost occurs and you go to the end of chapter two And it says, all the people after the coming of the Holy Spirit were of one accord as they lived together in community. You pass on to Acts chapter 4, right after Peter and John are freed from prison, and they've done all this incredible ministry. And it said, the people offered praises to God with one heart, with homothumadin, with one single heart of praise. You go to Acts chapter 15, when Paul and Barnabas are commissioned uh, to be missionaries, and it says, they sent them out in one accord. As one unified body, they prayed for them as one. Then, if you want to skip over to Romans 15, Paul tells us to glorify God with one mind, with one heart, with one soul. Again, homothumidon using that word. So the Spirit can breathe life into us, and he breathes us into one accord. And he can do that even in unfamiliar places. And this is one of the cool things about going on mission trips, I think. And and gosh, we had the guy... uh, who spoke during Sunday school hour, uh, Evans, um, can't remember his last name, but Evans and Mellon, did anybody go hear them in the Sunday school thing? And I heard they were wonderful. Uh, they are ministers over in Kenya. Uh, Kyle Hudgens and his ministry of Jesus Harvesters works with them all the time. Just two amazing people. And it's, But it's cool to go on a mission trip. I mean, when they come here, they feel like family, and they are, even if we don't know them very well. Have you ever been on a mission trip and you worked alongside some other Christians who were from somewhere else? And you really barely know anything about them, if anything at all, and yet you do there's this sense of partnership and 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 boundedness because of the Holy Spirit working and ministering through the two of you together, whether you go on the construction mission trip and there's people from Wisconsin and, and you're, you're ministering alongside them and you barely know anything about them. You might know their names and their family members' names and that's it. But there's just this sense of bondedness together as you're doing God's work together. You can do that as we go and, and worship over Truvine, our sister church. don't have to know much at, at all about the life stories. Gosh, in those marvelous worship services, you can't help but just sense family that we're all all family together. Uh, I experienced it in a wonderful way. Yes, here comes a South Africa story. Just deal with it. Uh, uh, but last summer when we were at uh Baptist Church in Cape Town. And uh, Masi is one of these. you know It's a township that was built for 5,000 during apartheid. Uh, it now houses almost 30,000. It's it's an incredibly uh, impoverished place, uh, often a violent place. In fact, there was a terrible murder that occurred right outside of Mossy Baptist Church. I think about a year and a half ago. And uh, but anyway, you go in there to worship on Sunday morning, and it's just incredible, incredible worship. But I remember sitting there, and right behind me was Vicky Austin. Uh, Vicki's in the first service, sings in the choir. She's just wonderful. And she was sitting there uh, uh, listening to the preacher. He got to the point of the sermon. And there was some member of that church who had just walked in, and she was obviously running late, and we found out because she, she was working somewhere and just got off work, came right over and sat beside Vicky. And it was just really cool because the woman who I think spoke Kosa, but also knew English, they sat there and Vicky because he said I want you to look in your Bibles and I mean we were really studying the Bible with this preacher who was preaching away and she didn't have a Bible and Vicky just started sharing the Bible and so they and this woman just thought you know that sat right beside her and they just followed the words along and they read it together out loud and they would <laughs> you know they would giggle together if they mispronounced a word or something and then they would just amen because he wanted a lot of amens. I want a lot of amen. Hey, can I get it? No, no, don't worry about it. But, but you know, they were amening together. And it was just so cool to me because I thought, they don't know anything. They haven't even had a chance to have an informal conversation, and yet here they are. And there's this sense of sisterhood, of, of divine friendship there, divine bondedness just because they are worshiping here in the spirit together i just thought that was so cool and i was reminded how significant that is how the spirit can breathe unity into us even when we are in the most unfamiliar of places or we are with the most unfamiliar of people but there's another reality that binds us all together finally and we can call it mysterious atonement you might know where the word atonement comes from it's an old english word that literally means at one at one That's where you get the word atonement. In other words, we're made one with God. We are at one with God because of the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. And Paul describes it in Ephesians as this endless treasure, the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. And he calls it a mystery. Threaded throughout Ephesians and, and his letter to the Colossians, which has some similar uh, content, actually, uh, he calls it a mystery some 11 times and in Ephesians specifically, he's talking about what is this mystery that he talks about there. Well, it's the atoning work of Jesus, but then there's an added uh, element to it, which he is basically saying this, this atoning w- work of Jesus, which is really the gospel itself, is for all people, Jew and Gentile, which was monumental back then. You know, in Ephesians 2, it talks about the wall between Jews and Gentiles is broken down because of the blood of Jesus on the cross. Well, he goes on to say there, In Ephesians 3, let's look at Ephesians 3, uh, 2 2 and 3 and 6, because he says, okay, there's one mystery, which is the atonement. But here's another part of that mystery I want you to know about. And he says, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. Okay, Paul, what is this mystery that has been revealed to you? This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel members together of what one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And I don't think you and I can begin to understand and appreciate just how revolutionizing that concept was that Jew and Gentile are of the same religious body, the same faith body. That made no sense back then, and yet that is where Paul said the Spirit is taking us because Christ died for all people. We are all one through that atoning work of Jesus. That's a mystery. It was a mystery in an earthly sense back then cuz you're like, "No, there's no way we're supposed to be of the same faith group," but they were. And obviously, it's it's a mystery as well just that God would care enough about you and me to do this at all. Such a mystery. Paul says even earlier in Ephesians 2, what it's by grace that we are saved through faith. It's not the result of our works at all. It's only by him alone, and it is indeed an incredible mystery. He goes on to talk about that in Colossians. Why would he even do that for us? If nothing else binds us in the church, that should bind us, that we are so unmerited, so undeserving of his grace Of his shedding blood for us, the breaking of his body, the shedding of his blood. We're so undeserving of that. And yet, he does just that, which I want to leave you with this thought. And if you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this because the key with all this is this is going to sound so basic and so preachery, but just deal with it because it comes from the Word of God. You just got to focus on Jesus. The key to unity is focusing on Jesus. Now we, we, and, I, and I think it's very noble and a good thing for us to endeavor to, to be united together by uh, uh, faith-based uh, actions. You try to be more patient with people. You try to be able to, to find humor in bad things that happen that could be divisive, but you find humor in it. Uh, you do everything you can to have a long-suffering attitude towards someone who really drives you nuts sometimes. You know, you do everything you can to, to bind every, every, everything up in unity with everybody in the rest of the church. But let me just say, if you focus, if you really can yield to the Spirit, and what's the Spirit's primary job? Pointing to Jesus. We've talked about that again and again. Yield yourself over to the Spirit and let, let the Spirit guide you to focus on Jesus alone. Guess what? Unity will come. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That kind of thing. Focus on him and his kingdom and his righteousness. And all the doings that that are good things that we try to do to endeavor to have more unity will just come along. But it's a matter of focusing on his lordship. And it brings me to my favorite, maybe my favorite A.W. Tozer quote in his book, The Pursuit of God. He said this, and I think, yeah, we have it up there. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos, all tuned to the same fork, are automatically tuned to each other? Tuned to the same fork, but because they're tuned to the fork, they're tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned, not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers meeting together, each one looking away from themselves to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. What is that saying? We're on a lower level, operating on a lower level when we just try to get along a little better, try to be nicer to everybody. No, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. He is the one who tunes us, in a sense, all together as one. And there's a mystery to that. There's a mystery to this table as well, as you know. Uh, again, just the mystery <laughs> that he would do what he did on our behalf on the cross. So I'd like for us to prepare for this. And we'll have a prayer in just a moment. We're going to do it the way we always do, where you guys head out toward the wall and then come over here, receive the elements, and then head back to where you're sitting. And, and, and don't feel like you've got to consume it. Wait, wait till you get back to your seat and, and pray and meditate. And when the moment is right for you between yourself, and the Spirit of God, then you can uh, receive it. You guys here in the middle, come down this way, go back. You guys to the wall, coming here and then going back to sit down, okay? Let's prepare ourselves for the table. Lord, thank you so much uh, that you desire that we be one in our love for you. Thank you that the cross, thank you that the breaking of your body and the shedding of your blood is really the source of what we should be looking at. We pray that even as we Look at the bread. Look at the cup. As we taste the bread, taste of the cup, may it point us directly to you. And in that moment, may it remind us that if we focus on you, the sense of unitedness and bondedness that you want us to have will come along. So first and foremost, may we yield with the Spirit's help to you as we partake of this together, that we might be the body that you so desire us to be. We pray these things in your name. Amen.